Hey, Real Talkers, plans for an Alberta pension plan will dominate much of the focus next week as Alberta's MLAs return to the legislature. If an APP truly is as unpopular as it appears to be, how much longer will Premier Smith ride that horse? In this episode of Real Talk, we connect with the strategists to talk about that, plus a break for Atlantic Canada on the carbon tax, ousted Ontario MPP Sarah Jama, and the next leader of the Alberta NDP. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Oh, hey there, and welcome to this episode of Real Talk. Very much looking forward to... Oh, hi, John. Oh, hi. I got my wrist slapped this morning walking into the studio. The technical producer of the show, which is you, <laughs> no, no, informed no. me Come that uh, as as we entertained some guests <clears throat> and some, yeah. uh, you know, some real talk uh, sponsors last night, our friends from uh, CWB Wealth, the presenting sponsor of our Real Talk Golf oh. Classic. Uh, mark your calendars for Thursday, June 20th of 2024. The Real Talk Golf Classic will go down again. Uh, we had them in here following a fundraiser for the United Way mm-hmm. and you informed me today everything was turned up <laughs> way too loud it was, it was when you came in this morning i mean there's plus 11 for like a rock concert you were at like plus 19 well I we think, were we were celebrating 10 is a max. the art of fundraising yeah. we were celebrating fellowship yeah. and uh and we're really excited for this friday episode of the show coming up in about 45 seconds from now don't tell them this uh, but they are the stars of one of Canada's most popular political podcasts. And every single time they're here on the show, everybody has a whole lot of fun. The strategists are hanging out with us on this edition of the Real Talk Roundtable ahead of the fall session kicking off at the Alberta legislature. So we're going to get into some of the stories that will define the next number of months in provincial politics in our home province of Alberta. Plus, we'll talk about what's going on uh, in other parts of Canada. I mean, Sarah Jama, this this uh, relatively new. I guess you. I guess you say former uh, NDP uh, representative. You remember Andrea Horvath resigns, right? She wanted to become mayor, the leader of Ontario's NDP. Uh, Sarah Jama comes in. She she seems to have all of the elements that you would look for in in a political candidate. She's young. She's savvy. She's motivated. Uh, she represents a minority population. She got, and then. She airs her grievances. She shares her thoughts about Palestine. And then the next thing you know, not only is she being sort of like, I guess, I mean, Premier Doug Ford, of course, she opposes him, right? She's with the Ontario NDP. So so Doug Ford says, like, basically what she did is brutal and something has to happen. And the Ontario NDP goes nuclear on the whole thing. And instead of basically saying she's going to sit on the back benches for a while or there's going to be some, they basically kick her out of the, they kick her out of caucus and she's done. And this is a story that's making more and more news across the country right now. And uh, and people are talking about it. And so uh, that's something that we're going to get into with the strategy. Strategist coming up. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Rello and our friends at Rello. That's R E L O dot C A. Right now, want to remind you that if, if, if back to school season and and everything getting back into into the the swing of things in the fall, that doesn't have to be just for the kids, right? This is a message directly for those of you that are feeling stuck right now. You're feeling unsatisfied. Your job sucks. 
quite frankly. Well, now is the perfect time to go back to school for a new career. You can launch a rewarding career in real estate with Rello's affordable online courses. Their courses make it easy to pass your exam, get your real estate license so you can run your own business, set your own hours, and be your own boss. The earning potential is unlimited, plus you'll be helping people every single day as they buy or sell their homes. Now, the best thing about Rello is how committed they are to your success. So they've got live instructors who host online exam prep sessions every Saturday. They've got a ton of resources to help you launch your real estate business well after you've passed the exam and gotten licensed. And if you're a real talker, if you're hearing or watching this right now, the best part is there's a special deal just for you. You can save 20%, big deal, 20% off any Rello course with the code REALTALK, all one word. That's the promo code REALTALK at Rello.ca. Thanks for being here on time today. Thanks, John. <laughs> I was Happy worried. to be here. I was worried. What were you worried about? Because the whole, the whole, the whole shindig last night. I yeah. was like, maybe, maybe I'll have to jump in and. Well, host. we got a job to do. <laughs> Politics aren't going to talk about themselves. These I can't next wait for three, this. Uh, th- this is, you know, I think one of the reasons why everybody loves the strategists is, is not just because they they say what they think and they pull no punches, but also they know what they're talking about. Then the the three people that that maybe you're going to meet for the first time right now, but probably not, have worked on the inside. <clears throat> they understand what makes campaigns tick, what makes them work, and what makes them flop. They understand why politicians and parties and governments do what they do and it's a real pleasure to welcome back to the show zane velge Corey hogan and annalise Klingbeil. together they are known as the strategist good morning to you all it's wonderful to see you and welcome back to real talk what's good up morning. good morning yeah lots of energy on that reload read buddy watch out johnny's gonna go get a new job not spend mornings with you anymore well but, johnny <laughs> has just heard that he can get 20 percent off any Rello course with wow. the promo, yeah, promo code real, real talk. talk man he's gone so it down you yeah. know um i don't know i noticed that you guys have started um you know integrating advertising into your podcast congratulations that's a big step for a show to take well, that's right. Uh, day 45 for your Canva code po- people. There you go. I don't know. I don't even know where we're supposed to do it. I, I have no idea how advertising works, but here we are. Here yeah, we are doing yeah. it, Jespo. Yeah. Hey, nice toque, pal. Uh, Zane, you're checking in from the from the winter city of Calgary, and it sort of marks the transition of the seasons into fall session in the legislature. I like it. Good transition on the on 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 the on the whatever. That I wrote was, that right? earlier I today. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. You, you nailed it. You nailed it. Now, you failed to mention that Stephen Carter isn't here, uh, and I like that you failed to mention that. <laughs> I, I, my, my whole plan was to kind of just cock block him the entire time and not even say a word Excellent. about his absence. Oh, this is the last word we say uh, about the but, former strategist on the pod. You sort of wonder, like when when Annalise joined the crew, there, it was it was a real upgrade, you know. And it was just, it was just it just sort of like it did a lot for the vibe of the show. It, yeah, I it felt filled that. in filled in a lot of the blanks. Annalise, did you feel that coming in that there was a sort of a void that needed to be addressed? Well, to be honest, I wasn't a big listener before I joined. <laughs> Join Ryan. Uh, That's good. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't have a comparison. Carter called me, said, hey, do you want to fill in while Zane's having this baby? And uh, here we are many months later. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out that it was actually Zane's wife having the baby. Zane was lying to us the whole time. But <laughs> Zane, still, it was a nice at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is that going, by the way, Zane, in the trenches? Ten, of ten months old, lazy as shit, doesn't move, doesn't crawl, just demands stuff. So he's taken after his dad. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> hey, congratulations. Uh, Corey, what's one of the things like as, as fall session kicks off, Alberta legislature, everybody right now is buzzing about the Alberta pension plan. Um, let, let me ask. I don't know if there's consensus in the group, but Corey, we'll start with you. Uh, this thing's 
can we all agree not making it to a referendum? This is not happening. This is not actually a thing, right? Or is it? It might be a thing that I, common sense would have suggested it was not a thing even to this point, frankly. And when the government sort of shelved it in the spring, I think a lot of observers thought that was because it was super unpopular. It was polling at 25 to 30 percent. Yet here we are. And it looks like the government's prepared to spend seven and a half million dollars. It's being reported to make sure that we all think that uh, you know this magical Alberta pension plan will be able to deliver everything that we've asked for. But, you know, the big development in the last week is the premier saying, uh, you know, maybe we need this number before it goes to referendum. I suspect that's because that's what their internal polling and analysis has shown, that Albertans are just not willing to vote yes on this, on the idea of an Alberta pension plan with so many questions up in the air. But but because of that, and I think to your point, Ryan, I don't know. I mean, it seems unlikely we're going to have a referendum before fall of 2042, because mm-hmm. this will be a deep, laborious negotiation to get any kind of specific number. Uh, before we can even consider what an Alberta pension plan would be. Well, how are you going to, Zane, how are you going to ask people like, you, you know, you, you, <clears throat> you know, you're a strategist. Um, so, so let's go into the thinking behind this. How are you even going to pose a question uh, to people? How are you going to put a question together if people don't know what the hell they're answering the question on? Do you want to leave the Canada pension plan? Well, what does it look like? Well, you could pay less and take more from an Alberta pension plan, but maybe not. We're not exactly quite sure. It seems like there's not enough information for anybody to have any informed feedback at this point. I, I think that's right from like a pure sort of decision making perspective. But I, I would also you know, make sure it's on the table that folks understand that the government, by by triggering a referendum, gets to write the question. So while the promises of today are that if we don't have a hard number, we're not going to a referendum, I think she floated out the date 2025. That doesn't have to be the promise of tomorrow. For me, you know, there there could be very, you know, a, a myriad of things that happen uh, in terms of what that question looks like. You you amp up the temperature against Ottawa. You say we have to get out. It's not even about the number anymore, folks. It's about we can't deal with these people. We can't deal with the, with the federal government. Could be a very generic question. You could have a range. To me, the APP, despite being so unpopular to Corey's uh, earlier point, and, and even seeing recent polling um, uh, privately that indicates that it is still quite unpopular in this province, to me is a real indication of what sort of stranglehold does Take Back Alberta have on the UCP and its leader. And I think we're going to find out a bit more in a couple of weeks with the UCP AGM. So if you're looking for the short strokes on this file, Ryan, rather than the now sort of punt this down two years, if not more, to Corey's point, 2042, probably alluding to the fact that we might need to go to the courts to fully unearth what this number could look like. But if you're looking for the short strokes, to me, this is about what sort of control Take Back Alberta has and what might be revealed uh, by that at the AGM coming up in, I think, less than a couple of weeks now. Annalise, do you think that the whole Take Back Alberta David Parker influence is overstated? Do you think it's understated? How much of a player uh, is this organization vis-a-vis the guy himself? Yeah, I mean, I I think he needs to be watched, absolutely. And I think um, people are going to be paying attention to what that looks like beyond just UCP in terms of municipal, in terms of school board, that sort of thing. But I don't I don't think it's overstated. Um, Maybe it is, in which case that would be a good thing. But I think it's certainly something that people will be watching very, very closely. What do you guys make of uh, Corey? What do you make of sort of the, the, the what rest of Canada is saying about this? You got finance ministers from from basically all the other provinces calling on the feds to get everybody together and talk about this. It it it, it sort of gives off this vibe. It it sort of makes this point 
that Alberta's wanted to resonate across the country for a long time. You get this sense that the rest of the country is going, we kind of need Alberta in the CPP. If Alberta pulls out of the CPP, everybody's kind of fucked a little bit of the way. And it seems like other provincial finance ministers are saying the same thing. Yeah, I mean, there's this. let's talk about what it means to be fucked if Alberta falls out of the CPP. If Alberta comes out under some sort of normal formula that reflects our population, it just makes the CPP weaker because pensions are stronger when they're bigger and more diverse, right? And we have uh, a young population now. We might have an old population later. Other provinces are in different situations. But collectively, that's a much more manageable situation. That helps deal with kind of these peaks and valleys. And that, in general, because it's bigger, helps get us bigger returns. It's part of the logic of why it's you know, you don't want an Alberta pension plan. You don't want a bunch of provincial pension plans. And you only need to look at like Quebec, which has their own pension plan and pays more for the exact same benefits that we get in the rest of Canada for the Canada pension plan. So that let, let's call that small F fucked. It's not even really fucked. It's just, it's bad policy. It's, it's an annoyance. It's, it, we're pricked. Yeah. <laughs> Real fucked would be if Alberta somehow managed to get this magical number out of the formula. That is, mm-hmm. you know, the $334 mm-hmm. billion dollars way beyond our share of the population would absolutely leave the cupboards dry for the rest of the country. A kind of an absurd number. I think we all agree, uh, or at least anybody who's done any sort of analysis on this, besides Jim Dinning inexplicably, besides LifeWorks inexplicably, that's proper fucked. And so I think that a lot of the um, other provincial leaders were really disinclined to get into this fight before last week because they didn't want to make it look like there was any sort of credence to these arguments. They didn't want to make it like Alberta does actually uh, carry the rest of the country. And any of them complaining or raising the alarm bell that this would be a problem for the country might play into that narrative. And so I think they were quite mindful of that. But the minute Pierre Polyev came out and made his comments, it all of a sudden allowed everybody else to make yeah. those comments as well, because it was no longer Danielle Smith versus Trudeau and the rest of the country. It was a much more complicated situation, which gave them the latitude to say the things that they feel they need to say. So it's interesting to see it play out. Zane, why did the conservative leader of the official opposition, why did Pierre Poliev come out and essentially warn Alberta about leaving CPP? What's in it for him? Well, what's in it for him is seats in other parts of the country that are not Alberta. He's got Alberta locked and he needs to win the rest of the country. And if the narrative by the other finance ministers and premiers is that Alberta's even planning to fuck us over, even if they don't do it, that's not a great look for someone who's backstopping, uh, even tacitly endorsing that plan. I do want to pick up on what Corey said here, though, right? There, there's there's some real like merit to, to this argument of, of not verbalizing and putting this out on the table and, and legitimizing this case. And I think one of the biggest things that Daniel Smith may have misstepped on is just the standard sort of coalition building. So if I try to look at her coalition right now within the province, you could kind of see it, right? You've got the Take Back Alberta folks. You've got this historical conservative firewall folks, the the folks who wanted pensions, taxes, policing, all within the uh, provincial jurisdiction. And then you've got this broader sort of anti-Trudeau sentiment. So you can win them over less on the fact that the APP and what it does and what it means to you, and more so if it fucks Trudeau over and the feds over, I'm game for it. It fucks other people over, Quebec, let's say, I'm game for it. You could see there's a coalition internally for that. Where I think she's actually torn apart coalitions is outside of the province, because now you have, to your question, Ryan, the Trudeau, Polyev, Ford, Notley alliance against Danielle Smith, right? And she's broken down those conservative coalitions that should be quite natural to her across the country 
this does not pierce along that this this kind of pierces that coalition it fractures it rather than keeps it together and i think the biggest sort of folly is maybe not inside the province because i could see the merit of her putting together enough people even to get this to a referendum maybe not win it but see the justification that this is a stick it to the feds extension but outside of the province i think is her bigger problem because the natural conservative allies have fallen by the wayside there, there's a lot going on right now. I mean, if, if people have seen the website, I think tellthefeds.ca and the Alberta government is, is spending a ton of dough marketing this campaign in other parts of the country. I mean, people are, you know, our audience, because, of course, the, our audience, the Real Talk audience is massive, you guys, and it spans the country. Thousands. I, I, yeah, I, I hear you're like enormous. a top 200 host. Uh, t- yeah. top, top, top 250 host in Canada. And, uh, <laughs> and um, but the Alberta government's obviously investing heavily in this Tell the Feds campaign i'm showing the website right now but people have seen it people have heard about it basically the gist of it is if we have to go net zero on our grids by 2035 uh you know the country's gonna basically freeze in the dark like the eastern bastards were supposed to under ralph klein's prescription um the alberta government at one point saying you need alberta right that's what they're saying you need our power you need uh alberta natural gas you need the you know the basically the energy uh, that comes out of Alberta and has had powered this country for many, many years, Annalise. And at the same time, Alberta is running a parallel campaign uh, within its borders that's basically like, screw the rest of the country. We're taking our $300 billion and we're on our way out of here. Uh, does the average Canadian, Annalise, put the two together and kind of wonder what the hell's going on? Does it appear to be incongruous or are most people so busy with their lives that they're not noticing that Alberta's kind of running this two-faced campaign right now? Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm curious about like. I'm. I think within Alberta, the ads are nuts, right? Like you, they're everywhere, and I, I'm sure Corey can kind of speak to this more and and how big of an ad spend it is and that sort of thing, um, given his past expertise. But when I listen to just like random podcasts, those the uh, the Alberta pension plan ads are on them, and so they certainly are spending a lot of money on that here. And then, as you say, they're doing this other campaign outside of Alberta. I don't know. I, I don't know how much um, other Canadians are, are paying attention to the both in tandem. I do think that tell the feds um, that campaign is resonating. People are paying attention. You see people posting about the big billboards, posting about the signs, that sort of thing. But I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, we're unique in Alberta hearing both of these ads. I don't think others are hearing both of them. Corey, the 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 NDP, mm. I was Shannon Phillips, finance critic, pointing out, I think it was yesterday that the Alberta government's spending about seven and a half million on its campaign, its ad campaign for the Alberta pension plan. Uh, it always feels a little bit silly to say seven and a half million is nothing because it's not. It's something. But seven and a half million is a, a bit of a drop in the bucket. Does the average person care that the Alberta government's spending this much? You, you've you've been involved in, yeah. in messaging campaigns for the public. Where does seven and a half million stack up? Uh, you know, I think it's a good point, and it's tough for people to really distinguish between the the push to the pocketbook of say a million versus seven and a half million. And once you've crested that magic seven figure number, you've got a bit of latitude kind of to get all the way to eight figures in terms of public reaction. That's, that's sort of a rough rule that I can tell you from my time in government, but that's a big campaign. Uh, Alberta is not a kind of super expensive, massive media market. And uh, just to give you a bit of context, when we're doing a more traditional campaign in Alberta, and obviously there's a few years of inflation here, but ad prices are lower in the past couple of years, right? A million dollars for a provincial campaign would be considered like a few months in market at a pretty normal level of spend. To spend seven and a half, and, and like who knows the timeline on that, is is a lot. Like, 
It's a lot, a lot. And, um, and certainly if you're further targeting on that to demographics that you think are going to be more movable on that message, that's, that's even more still. So, uh, is it enough though, is the next question. And I'm not convinced it is. Uh, people tend to overestimate the effect of advertising on these things. Advertising plays a very specific role in political messaging. When you're talking about political ads, you need to make sure that people hear them multiple times. Like you're trying to change people's long held opinions in many cases. So you've got to do a kind of a really sustaining campaign on this. It's not the same as uh, if you're trying to sell somebody an RV where you just need them to remember the name of three RV companies and you want to be one of them as they go to make their final decision. You're actually trying to unspool something in their brain and then re-spool it in a different way. And advertising is only part of that equation. There's the conversations with their neighbors. There's the media coverage. There's all of that. And it tends to have more of an outsized effect than I think people appreciate. So, Zane, if you, you know, you're, you're the premier... Uh, you're Danielle Smith, and you've figured that the Alberta pension plan is a good idea. People have been banding about the idea for you know 20 years or so. Um, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. been flying under the radar, by the way. This is part of the Alberta Party's platform in 2019. Nobody's talking about that, right? It was literally that talking it's about that's amazing. Alberta that's Party. A fact. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was part of the Alberta Party's platform in 2019. Nobody's talking about that. Well, which, I mean, nobody's talking like the, about the Alberta Party, though. Also right? true. That's that's a, yes, also true. I mean, and, and probably oh, in classic okay. Alberta Party fan sh- fashion, they were probably, you know, uh, scared of their own shadow, so asked for 2% <laughs> yeah, of the money from the CPP back. <laughs> if you don't just, mind, just give us, give we're us considering about maybe <laughs> taking our what might be our fair share. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, if you're Danielle Smith and this is something you've decided to kick up and, 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 you know, you assure people through the election campaign, this is not something that you're going to do. And then you decide it is something that you're going to do. And then you spend seven and a half million or who knows how much more. And then you go, and then Albertans tell you resoundingly by referendum or before uh, they tell you resoundingly that it is not something they want. Is this like an and, and eat crow, you're embarrassed, your reputation mm. takes a hit type thing, or is it like people forget about it in six weeks and nobody cares? Uh, Long term, next election, no one cares if it gets resolved quickly. The question is, will it get resolved quickly, right? The, the question here is, uh, let, let's look at audiences and let's look at off ramps. The audiences are, are very clear. We know she's trying to see if there is a coalition here. She's probably trying to appease to take back Alberta, whether it's the formal or the informal sort of coalition of folks that, that would belong to that side of the party that have wanted this. That's the audience, the off ramps. She's given herself many if we're being charitable, right? She's given herself the one this week to say, let's um, let's find a number before we go to a referendum 2025. The branding of the campaign. Let's be charitable to her and and the communications department again. It's about your choice. It's not downloading it on you. Jim Dinning also adding that this is not a sales job. This is just trying to float it out there and get a sense of the, the train. She has, in many ways, done what you'd want, regardless of which side of the political spectrum you sit on, what you would advise someone to do to have optionality, to have latitude in her decision making. So she has done that. So if you look at what what I, I think the most interesting question here, beyond the short strokes of the next couple of weeks, UCP, AGM, how much does it dominate? But the short strokes of Monday, how big of a deal is it in the throne speech, for example? Um, right. Those sort of things. I think the long strokes here are exactly what Corey talked about. Is the seven and a half the start of this? And how much longer are they willing to finance this? I, I don't remember a news story, and Corey, you might be able to correct me on this, where the public has kicked up a fuss in regards to an advertising spend 
But seven and a half on top of, let's say, seven and a half and seven and a half, like continuing this a $25 million campaign to sustain this for the three or two year runway that's required. That's both dangerous on the political level of the criticism you'd face, but also dangerous of keeping a file alive that you don't know is a certainty. So that I think right now. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and, and I'm trying to be charitable on that phrase framing as well. So so I think those are her risks. But to be to be totally clear, I think she's given herself enough on wraps now. How long does she want to keep it going? Yeah, and, and Annalise, I guess we get a bit of a sense of that when fall session kicks off. But I I just, to me, like like Zane just said, when you're losing on something, I mean, the the, the, be, the best way to deal with it, isn't it? I mean, would, would the three of you agree, Annalise, first? Like, the, the the quicker, the better. Like, to ditch it. And and I understand maybe there's, I don't know, what is it? Is 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 there the, the sense that with more information, Albertans might support it and then maybe there's a shot at getting your hands on, if not $330 billion, you know, 250 and that's a nice chunk of change and it's one step toward Alberta sovereignty. It's not everything, but it's one step in that direction. It's a big win and, and I guess I understand some of the thoughts around sustaining it, but at the same time, if it does become an embarrassment if it does if it does become that 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 bit of that albatross uh, what what did they describe it as the the the, uh, the peter mckay thing it was like the stinking albatross around the neck i think if mm. it becomes that this becomes an embarrassment for the government this starts to over it, it starts to dominate the headlines it starts to characterize the session it starts to characterize the government as, as out of tune obsessed with ideas that the general public doesn't want as a political leader that's the last thing you're looking for, right? Well, I, I think a key part of this that we haven't really discussed yet, too, is that the opposing side campaign, right? Like yes. who who is going to be the one who's leading them? Let's stay in the CPP and CPP is great and we don't need an APP. Who is leading that campaign? We talked a bit about it on our last pod about the role that unions can play in that and just kind of unions in Alberta and perhaps what they should and shouldn't be doing. But I think that's another piece of this. And I think perhaps Smith is... Um, maybe gambling a little bit on there being a really weak side of that campaign or they're not being not being well funded. Obviously, the government, to Zane's point, could do that 7.5 again and again. Um, so I think that's another thing that is kind of we need to wait and see here who steps up and like really with a big organized effort leads that we need the CPP. It's great campaign. Is that a, is that a campaign, Corey, that happens out of Alberta? Is that a campaign that happens somewhere else? Are you surprised there's not been more of a prominent uh, expression of exactly what Annalise is talking about from from big federal unions? Well, I again, I think it goes back to people realizing that their participation might be subtractive rather than additive. Mm-hmm. And so Validating. wanting to exactly. yeah, keep yeah. their powder dry a bit. But, you know, let's be clear, there is a campaign underway. There is another side. The CPPIB, the group that runs the Canada Pension Plan, they've been running ads in Alberta at, you know, not the insane volumes we're seeing the government do, but at at pretty significant volumes for a a year and a half now, I'm sure. Uh, Just talking about the benefits. I'm sure you've all seen them. If you're going through like your web life and you see this little ad saying, hey, it's one of the top performing funds in Canada, secure forever, basically, all of the various messages they have out there. And so um, what's interesting to observe is whether there will be kind of an internal to Alberta kind of spokesperson and mm-hmm, a group mm-hmm. that becomes the voice of the opposition. And Annalise was being, I think, diplomatic. I'm very concerned if that spokesperson becomes, look, if it's a if it's a union that Albertans feel somewhat negative about or neutral about, 
neutral is less popular than the Canada pension plan. And if all of a sudden the voice becomes a voice that they associate with staying in the Canada pension plan and they're ambivalent about that voice, they might become ambivalent about the Canada pension plan. So yeah. I think the real risk as this unfolds is that we have sides actually form and that one of the sides fucks up or one of the sides is, is naturally just unpopular. And yeah, Alberta's government has massive sustaining power. They can put as much money into this as they want. Like, I, let me paint you a picture for a second, right? Like, you could see a world. Tell me if you guys think this is offside. You could see, or, or even far-fetched, you could see a world where the government finds its sea legs on the framing of the APP, right? They find their, their legs. They find a nice frame. Maybe it's about Trudeau. Maybe it's about something else. But they find something that is not even directly about the number or the question, but they find um, a metric or they find a message framework that works for them. At the same time, the core opposition, and I think there's actually going to be several opposition campaigns, but leave that aside for a second. The core opposition is a group that has a, maybe a negative brand affinity or has its own baggage. You could actually see the scale starting to shift with like the the yeah. the now, you know, anti side having even more of a drag and the pro side finding a bit of its sea legs with a frame that works. This is how like at the end of the day, this is the, the basic lesson of campaigns matter. I'm just giving you a hypothetical framework of how this thing could get past the finish line. Yeah, well, I think it I think it's more than that, because I think there are actually forces at play that make that more likely, frankly. Because mm. when politicians look at an issue and they see it's a two to one issue, you know, two to one Albertans oppose uh, an Alberta pension plan. They support the Canada pension plan. Then politicians like Justin Trudeau, aspirant politicians, they'll start looking at those things and saying, well, I'm going to attach myself to the two to one side. But what ends up happening is that the brands drag on each other. So they become more popular by going to the popular issue, but the issue becomes less popular by being associated with them. And so as long as people are doing that calculus and that math in kind of an ongoing real-time sense over a long enough time, you do tend to see even issues that have no business being 50-50 issues become 50-50 yeah. issues. Yeah. And that and that I think is a reality that Albertans need to contend with as they think about, especially like let's say there is a referendum in 2025. It's a long way away. Yeah. And that's a lot of time for this issue to drag towards. I can't I can't In imagine that being the, the, the time frame, though. Can you, Zane? Like, I can't imagine this. This seems to me like, honestly, my honest gut instinct on this is that the premier. I know this is not the vibe that's being put out. I know that this is not the public message, obviously. Uh, I think the premier want if I'm the premier, I want out of this as soon as possible. I want this to be over. I want the focus to be elsewhere. They've got bigger battles to fight. They've got bigger fish to fry. They've got bigger issues. Uh, and to me, it's a distraction. I, I guess, really, I kind of understand why they're doing it, but not really, actually. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to put this to bed and get it out of the way as soon as possible in the next few months, to be honest with you. Well, and this this goes back to one of your questions you've asked. So, so you know, how much is the influence from outside groups take back Alberta, the firewall folks, the the folks that have wanted this desperately for a long time uh, over her leadership and her and her and the party? Let's be clear. If I, just some recent political history, right? Danielle Smith uh, was not a popular leader to say the least, right? When she when she became premier, she was highly controversial. Even at the doors, as someone who worked on the NDP campaign, we'd hear often. That that this was a leader that was being touted to uh, UCP supporters as being someone that we'd replace very soon. Her own leadership hangs in the balance here, Ryan. So at the end of the day, you, there is that self-preservation act, which I should we should never forget. And we know it's a common history amongst conservatives to to get to turf leaders quite often. So Daniel Smith, you might be right. 
might be reading the same tea leaves we are. But the fact is, does she control this ship? And and how much is she giving up to others on this particular file as a proxy and illustrating her her lack of leadership or lack of control over this party, which is why I find it fascinating as well. Uh, Annalise, at the end of the we, we got a great comment from Ryan in our live chat. Ryan just asked a very simple question. He's like, why is it OK for Quebec to do this and not us? Um, and, and I, I guess there are the details that Quebec was never in CPP and, and Quebec had its own thing from the beginning. And we had Andrew Leach on the show talking a little bit about the differences of, of how Quebec runs their pension fund versus how the, the federal one operates and Quebec uses it to invest in infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. But the, but, the, but the point being, I guess the question I'm asking you, Annalise, is like, why do you think it's so unpopular? You know, we see different polling numbers. The NDP opposition has released theirs. Uh, I did an unofficial unscientific Twitter poll uh, that we're not putting too much weight into, but showed that 80% of respondents, 82% of respondents wanted nothing to do with, with leaving the CPP. But, but you will find people that say, I think it's a good idea. It's good for Alberta. It's good for Albertans. Why wouldn't we look into it? What's wrong with it? If it is indeed as unpopular uh, among the general public, as it appears to be right now. Annalise, why do you think that is? Yeah, it, it does appear to be unpopular. And I think there's lots of different data points. You put your little poll. Um, the NDP opposition had a recent press conference where they said what their feedback was. Corey did a FOIP of the initial correspondence to CPE. That was like, I think overwhelmingly we're seeing data point after data point that right now it is unpopular. But again, and if we're talking about a longer play, I think it's going to be longer than two months. Opinions can change over time. Um, I think it's deeply unpopular right now because we're at a time when affordability is a huge thing. Cost of living is a huge thing. People are thinking about their retirement. They're, people my age are thinking and worrying about their retirement and the fact that they're not going to be able to retire, right? Um, and so I think kind of the environment that it is being brought in at a time when people are looking at their budgets, are looking at how to save money, and then all of a sudden you're throwing out this thing of like, hey, and now your retirement's at risk. Um, and then I, I can't, Carter's not here, so we can't get that like older person perspective <laughs> on the uh, ancient person. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient person perspective on those people who are like close to retirement and the conversations that they're having. But I think even amongst people in their thirties, it's like, yeah, terrible idea. So, well, and, and I guess what, what you're saying is that the concern is among people that would s more soon be drawing on their pension would be that an Alberta pension plan would be unstable. I mean, that's the assumption, right? That's what we're saying, but not saying is that people wouldn't trust how or where the funds would be invested. Well, and, and we're dealing with like made up numbers right now. I think that's an, another key piece of it. So if you're already kind of operating on numbers that don't make sense, and then you're trying to do the math of how much mm -hmm. money am I getting every month and, and other people, how much am I paying in? Like you it's, it's not a great place to start the conversation mm -hmm. from. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be clear. It's fine for us to leave the or Canada pension plan in the sense that it's allowed. Pensions are a provincial responsibility. It is a policy option. But let's also be clear that we are not getting the $334 billion that's been floated. So much of the benefit is, is based on this idea that we get to take more than half of the Canada pension plan with us. And uh, could we make a go of it without that, with just our actual share of the pension? Yeah, of course we could. But to your point, Ryan, it would be a riskier pension, even setting aside any investment decisions that get made because we're a smaller population pool. It's like any insurance. Insurance gets pooled. 
even your small insurance company, if you're like, well, I'm not, I don't care about that. I have a small insurer. They get reinsurance from a big insurer. And this is all based on risk pools that you want to try to make as big as humanly possible in order to get the best, most reliable returns over time here. And being a pension for a province of four and a half million people doesn't make sense. And frankly, Quebec's uh, example is super illustrative. When they decided not to join the Canada Pension Plan back when it was created, they thought, well, we've got a young population. We would be putting more in than the rest of the people in Canada. So this makes sense for Quebec to stay out of that pension. And now Quebecers pay more for the same benefits. So, you know, I don't actually see Quebec as the kind of thing we should hold up as a why not. I mean, for God's sake, people, are we really going to say we should be like Quebec in absolutely everything we do? The same people who are the ones who trumpet the Alberta pension plan are probably the ones who say, you know, what are they doing? They're doing everything wrong. They're not creating their economy in a way that makes sense. They're not, you know, constructing their systems in a way that makes sense. They're not a model for Alberta. There's many things we can learn from other provinces. We don't need to blindly follow Quebec just because Quebec's allowed to do it. There's a lot of things I'm allowed to do I don't do. I could slam my hand on a hot stove tomorrow. Pretty stupid idea. No one's going to stop me. That's uh, Corey Hogan. We're also talking to Zane Velge, Annalise Klingbeil. Together, they are The Strategists, and you can find out more about what they do by visiting their website, thestrategist.ca. I want to ask you all, uh, when we come back, about the, the federal government suspending the carbon tax on home heating oil, but not natural gas. And a lot of people are blowing a gasket on this, and for good reason. Anytime you talk about the carbon tax, uh, you're going you're gonna to invoke emotions with folks, most especially when affordability uh, is a real issue. I want to talk about the political popularity or unpopularity of that. Plus, we're going to talk about Sarah Jama's political future in Ontario. And for that matter, Merritt Stiles, the leader of the Ontario NDP. Uh, people want Ontario's NDP leader to resign over the way that this whole debacle has been handled. So we'll get to that in just a quick second. Right now, our friends at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge are putting out a call specifically to first responders. You're working hard. You're busting your humps. Uh, whether it's wildfire season, the opioid crisis, or whatever else, our first responders deserve a break. And our friends at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge want to let you know that for bookings that are made before October 31st, so you got four more days. If you're listening to this on Friday, if you're listening to this over the weekend, you got to act now. Uh, get in touch with the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. You can follow the link in our show notes or just call them directly and ask about their first responders appreciation rate now you got a book before october 31st but this extends to dates uh bookings all the way through till april of 2024 so you got about six months right now to knock 20 percent off everything uh in all of their food and beverage uh 25 off everything at the spa 20 percent off sundog tours including transportation to Jasper, wildlife tours, all kinds of cool stuff, and rooms starting at $1.99 a night, which if you know, if you've been out to the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, that's a fantastic rate for our first responders. We want to say thank you. The Fairmont wants to say thank you with their first responders appreciation rate. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want to remind you that they're providing solar energy solutions to power your life. And that means that whether it's your home, it could be your cottage that's off grid, it could be your farm, it could be a commercial warehouse, whatever it is, they can help you get toward your sustainable green energy goals with a professionally installed and warrantied 
solar setup. All of their installers are Tesla certified. You're getting ticketed workers. You got either apprentices or journeymen up on the roof making sure that that's installed properly. Plus, Kubit has all the paperwork to make sure that you're tapping into all of the incentives that are available municipally, provincially, federally. You don't want to leave any money on the table, uh, including these green energy grants. You can learn more, get a free quote today at kubienergy.ca. If you're inspired by what you're hearing about here on the show, maybe thinking about getting a little more serious about your political science studies, maybe it's that time of year where you're getting a little bit restless, you're starting to think a couple months ahead, maybe a New Year's resolution is at play. Athabasca University wants to be part of all of your thoughts around bettering yourself, deepening your understanding of the world around you, and preparing yourself for a competitive and rewarding job market. Their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You can get started by following the links today at AthabascaU.ca. And a shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. They want to remind you that while the snow is falling now, temperatures are dropping. It doesn't mean that they're all going on vacation for the next few months. Eden Landscaping spends its fall and winter months planning, drafting up the blueprints to bring your outdoor space to life. That means it's a perfect time right now to get in touch with this custom landscape builder, a full service contractor, which means that you're not going to have to hire out or subcontract trades to get the job done. Whether it's stonework, excavation, retaining walls, water features, outdoor kitchens, they do it all and they want to work with you. You'll find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're hanging out with the strategist, uh, one of Canada's most listened to political podcasts, Zane Velge, Annalise Klingbeil, and Corey Hogan uh, joining us. Pretty interesting story out of Ottawa, the federal government exempting home heating oil from uh, the carbon tax for the next three years. It's not going to apply, uh, and it's very much less relevant in a province like Alberta, where more and more people are obviously using natural gas. Uh, Annalise, it's sort of like reiterating, it's amplifying the, the gripes and the angst that people feel in Western Canada around the carbon tax. What are your initial thoughts around this policy announced by the feds? Yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime people hear the words carbon tax in Alberta, they'll complain. Like, it's just the fact of the matter. It People don't like it here. Uh, I didn't pay a ton of attention to yesterday's announcement because, as you say, uh, natural gas is what people in Alberta are using. But I think it, it, it's, a, it's another thing. It's another like little point that feeds into that narrative of Trudeau doesn't like Alberta and what was us in Alberta. Corey, is this a risk for the federal government? They're, they're pissing off Alberta. That's a fact. Yeah, I mean, they're pissing off me. This is such a ridiculous thing for the federal government to do. And, you know, I, I had some conversations online with a couple of people who said, oh, well, you got to understand the the, um, the the moving off of heating oil, which, by the way, let's be clear, heating oil is basically only used in the Maritimes, which is basically the only reason why this government is considering it, because they're worried about their seats in the Maritimes. And they're saying, yeah, there's incentives have moved so many people off of heating oil to heat pumps in the first place. The carbon tax isn't a huge part of the story there. It's well, OK, that's, that's wonderful. But from a communications point of view, from a political messaging point of view, you have just taken a shotgun to both your feet if you're the liberals on the carbon tax. I don't understand how they went through all of the experts and all of the tall foreheads in the Liberal Party and nobody said, oh, hey, wait, hold, hold on a minute. 
for two years, three years, we four years, we've been saying the carbon tax is actually a net positive because of the rebates. You get more back in rebates than you get here. Uh, and now we're going to say, oh, this is a big financial hardship. So we're going to turn off the price of the carbon tax at this particular moment. That's insane. That's blowing up their own policy. And they're also creating the excuse for all sorts of people to come forward and say, well, what about my thing? What about my thing? Yeah. What about my thing? And this is how policies die. This is how policies die. It was as recent as September 30th that the Minister of the Environment said, we can't create carve-outs of this nature. And boy, does life come at you fast, huh? October well, 27th. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, a, a matter of weeks. And Zane, the whole thing about Pierre Polyev's been banging the drum around axe the tax. And then in a way, I mean, like Corey basically just spelled this out, but that's exactly what they're doing. And to me, it's oh, like when, when the government is doing something that the official opposition is calling for, it's more of a win for the opposition than the government, right? Am I, am I misunderstanding something? Nope. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely... I mean, I like Corey... I'm, I'm just befuddled. Like the only thing I can think of, and I don't think this is it, but the only thing I can think of, I'm, I'm kind of like the theories guy on the, on the pod today. Here's my theory on this. Here's my theory on this. <laughs> it's the toque. Do they actually just want to kill this policy? Like to me, that is the natural conclusion that, that they, 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 they want to deprioritize and stop spending political capital on it because the amount of political capital they spent to set it up and then to keep it alive on the communications, on the back of the communications that Corey mentioned in regards to the the rebate, so it's revenue neutral, which, by the way, no one fucking understands what that means, right? No one really understood it and accepted it, all they knew. And then and then saying it's revenue neutral, which effectively means you're going to be made whole, and then say we're going to pause it for three years for a specific type of heating oil, what does that actually symbolize? It means well, what are they that getting it the money for anymore. Exactly. If it's revenue neutral, why are you pausing it? If I'm getting the money back, you know, is this not actually hurting me? Uh, with with my heating oil? And the answer is, well, it is in the short term. And as soon as you're explaining, you're losing. And that's exactly what's happened right now is that there is a they have created their own fracture within their own signature policy. And I think the death knell to the carbon tax, you know, may have been just a couple of years ago when Joe Biden in the United States with his Infl Inflation Reduction Act specifically chose no price on carbon, instead chose incentives for, for energy. Why is this important? Because from an environmental perspective, the carbon tax, which had already been struggling to have a communications understanding by, by the general population, was now being faced with the parallel down south where the U.S. chose not to go with the carbon tax and, and instead chose to go with these incentives to, to greenify the economy while making Canada compete on the same incentive class. We were kind of paying on both ends. And I think when they had to choose... They chose to fracture their own signature policy because they're also paying billions of dollars out to compete with battery plants in, in southwestern Ontario against the U.S. This is it's kind of a disaster when you think about it on, on the pricing of, 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 of carbon and the environmental file. Um, but the only logical thing I can think of if they were saying is, is listen, we want to cut our losses here. Let's fracture our own policy. Let's shoot one of our feet and let's stop spending political capital on this. I mean, but the extension to that is is its own you know, I mean, sack of shit. I, I, I agree with your analysis there, but I think it's nuts, right? Oh, of course, so, I do, too. I yeah, do, too. Right. Ryan, I don't think it's bad to do something the opposition is calling for on like random issue of the day, like thing X or thing Y. That's how you get out of these intractable wars that we've you know even the alberta pension plan is kind of an example of it like sometimes if it's not the thing you want to do if it's not your big thing and you're bleeding on it just do the other thing who cares but this is their signature policy like if you're going to talk about one policy you're going to remember this government from 
it's probably going to be this one. Maybe it's childcare, probably this one though. And so to blow up your own signature policy is a very different thing because your entire government brand is tied to this particular policy and you're effectively admitting kind of major policy challenges with it here. And look, it's all about politics. It's all about seats in uh, Atlantic Canada. I just don't think it's going to work. I, I really think that this is going to be the worst of both worlds for the Liberals. They've undercut the policies rationale and everyone's going to say, that's great, but you put me in this position in the first place. Annalise, mm-hmm. is this is this the federal government's loss? I mean, some people will will write into the show and say it's all of our loss. It's the environment's loss. It's the climate's loss. But but politically speaking, is this the, the liberals loss or is this Justin Trudeau's loss? Like if you get the credit in good times, uh, you take the fall in the tough times. And this is a guy that's seen personal popularity and the polling of the party really, really down, like 10, 15 points down, which is a huge deal. How significant is this for the prime minister? Yeah, I, I think it's both of their loss, but I think it's a, to Corey's point about this being their signature policy. You can't hear the words carbon tax without thinking of Justin Trudeau, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe from there you then also think federal liberals, but they they go hand in hand. So I think it's um it's absolutely a loss. And to Zane's point, like it just doesn't it doesn't make a ton of sense. I get that they're trying for those votes, um, but they've they've clearly shot themselves in in the foot while doing it. Uh, I want to ask you, Annalise, we'll stay with you. I know that you guys talk about this in your most recent pod. I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to The Strategist and support them on Patreon as well for exclusive content. I love how you guys are doing that, by the way. Uh, the Sarah Jama story out of Ontario uh, it, it, it really is wild. It's it's not unusual for opposing politicians to call for some, you know, I mean, if there's blood in the water, the sharks will attack. You get how that goes. So so when this new MPP uh, rolls in and has some criticism around, you know, the, the, the situation of Palestinians and, 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 and basically the way that the federal government's acting and and she, you know, I mean, she had her position. I didn't really think that anything she said was crazy. I didn't think that anything she said was like especially egregious to the point where like the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford's calling for her to be booted. She's kicked out a caucus, like the, the whole nine yards. But, but, but what's sort of like one of the key things or key storylines, Annalise, that you're keeping an eye on here in this situation with this, this rookie MPP in Ontario? Yeah, I, I mean, the what next is always one that I go to in, in something like this when you have kind of the news of the day and then what what is happening next? What are the next steps? And I, I know Zane and um, Corey have kind of more thoughts on this, but that kind of behind the scenes sort of thing is like what what is the public seeing and then what is what has happened behind the scenes and what will continue to happen behind the scenes and how much of the full story is um is the public getting i think would be kind of two points on that that i'm paying attention to okay let's get into that Corey. what why don't you pick up on what annalise was just saying yeah i you know there's always two stories there's the public one and the private one and I, you're right i think that the things that were said were not they they didn't appear to me at least to be inherently disqualifying if you're a member of the new democratic party certainly yeah. if you're a conservative mp you're going to get a very different reaction sure. there but uh, you know the the ndp has very carefully threaded a line and that line includes uh, you know criticism and concern for both parties right that's you know that's ultimately how i will very poorly summarize the ndp's stance on this and so when sarah jama goes out and makes the statement she does uh they didn't include certain things, but there was sort of all, you know, th- let's not forget there was a first turn of this story where she effectively apologized, right, for what she said. And that was supposed to be sufficient, but it was clearly not. There are situations like this sometimes where uh, 
leaders use these as pretexts to deal with other challenges. And if I had to bet any kind of money, it would be that there were probably challenges with Sarah Gemma and the leader going back much sooner than this particular inciting incident. And that doesn't really shock me. You talked about her being a star candidate, young, savvy, motivated, really powerful, really forceful. Well, those things often don't clash with towing the line and following a leader in a parliamentary sense. And so maybe there's more, maybe there's not, maybe we'll hear about it, maybe we won't. But, you know, it's just, it's hard for me to believe that everything that we've seen in the public alone is the story. There's There's got to be more than this. Maybe it's comments made on this issue privately that go far beyond what she said publicly. Maybe it's a larger interpersonal conflict between her and the leader. Hard to say, but pretty easy to say that what she has said in the public doesn't appear to reach that threshold that where you would expect the kind of action that the NDP has taken. So Zane, where does this go from here then? I mean, like there's calls for, for the NDP leader, Merritt Stiles, to resign over this. I, I, I'm not sure that the leader saw that coming, obviously, but now it's gaining momentum and it's a national conversation. I mean, fair to say that maybe the party was caught a little bit off guard, uh, which I think is ludicrous, uh, caught off guard by the traction that this was going to find. They should have seen it coming. Why wouldn't they? Right. If you, if you break this down on the most reductive lines, which let me just do for the sake of argument. But the fact that there is a broader Muslim population that that probably has empathy, maybe not full agreement with some of the comments that Sarah Jama made, especially as it relates to the innocent Palestinian lives being lost. You add that with the coupling of progressive support within the NDP has historically stood federally and you could say as trickling downstream on this particular issue. This should not have caught them off by, by surprise. And then you add the intersectionality of Sarah Jama as an individual, a black w woman who's also a disability rights activist, who was also a star candidate that you poured so much political uh, oxygen into to getting her elected to replace Andrea Horvath. It should not have caught them by surprise, which to me means that they made a political calculation. I'm going to be charitable to them. They made a political calculation. In this case, it was that what you say uh, in this moment is not where we stand. And they thought that was more of a risk uh, than having Sarah Gemma be who she is. Now, from a pure political perspective, I would say that they they made a decision that seems quite logical. Anytime anyone on any issue goes rogue beyond the leader, you're spending capital that you did not choose to spend mm. and you have mm. to do it. But the fact is, this is so sensitive to so many, including myself, Ryan. I'm a Muslim Canadian, right? Not to say that aligns me to one side, but to see what's happening in the Middle East, to see what's happening in my country right now, to see what's happening to the the the, the level of anti-Semitism and that hate, to see the anti-Muslim hate that's happening in this country. This is affecting so many people personally. But let me get back to your question. What happens from here? I think she's a martyr for for one of two things. Either she's a martyr for free speech because she's being censured, and I think that's quite a fascinating case study. Someone from the left being a martyr for free speech in this country has probably not happened in, in a while, at least from a public example. Or she's going to be a martyr for someone to socialize her perspectives more and, and understand that the, the, the rallying that happens behind her is actually louder, bigger, and more substantive than the NDP, at least provincially, may have given her credit for. And, and she may further allow the socialization of this particular issue and those comments that she made. 
that's where I think it goes for her as it where it goes for the NDP. I think they're going to try to their best to weather this. They're kind of trying to do what winning parties do, which is who cares about the issue issue agnostic, get rid of someone who's a problem, charge ahead, focus on the issues that that voters are voting on. Israel, Palestine will, unfortunately, in my mind, move on and we'll focus back to cost of living, green belt, all the things that allow us to, uh, to victory, defeat the liberals, make sure that we're official opposition. Yeah, so that's kind of my belt. overall hey, an- I know analysis. We right only now. have you for for a couple more minutes. Uh, the strategist here, uh, but but like the green belt thing, like is Doug Ford <laughs> going to be walking off? And is he doing the perp walk at some point? Is there are there handcuffs in his future? Like are there going to be there uh, police? This is this is like is this a people is this talk- an RCMP investigation? Because it might take twelve years yeah, to, to finally yeah, people see are Doug Ford. <laughs> people fairly. Someone asked me at a conference I was hosting a couple weeks ago. They said, "Whatever happened with the Kenny investigated the leadership thing?" I said, "It's like literally still happening. Like it's yeah. you know, I don't think anybody thinks that's going to happen." But there's well, talk maybe about- Kenny will resign soon. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fun. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> like, talking about the, the Kenny leadership thing is one thing. Uh, accusations, I, I allegations around racketeering uh, are it's a completely different, different yeah. thing, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, is that does this story have legs? Well, yeah. I mean, we we forget at our peril that politicians do sometimes go to jail. And we have examples in Canada that are not that ancient history. You look at the Saskatchewan government, most of them went to jail. BC premiers have gotten into trouble. There's been graft and corruption in basically every province that you can name. And uh, well, we do sometimes feel like we're in a world without consequences where people can say and do whatever they want and their supporters will stand with them no matter what happens. We are still a country of laws. And when there are billions of dollars on the line like that, those laws tend to be enforced. I do think there are some differences between what Jason Kenney is accused of and what Doug Ford is accused of to underline. One is it's you know, a leadership contest. You have to follow the rules, but these were largely considered private clubs until quite recently, and these rules are pretty new. Rules against corruption and racketeering are not new. And so I think that if that's what Doug Ford is accused of, and if people around him start going down for that, we are in a totally different world in Ontario politics. But uh, watch this space, because frankly, so much of that is going to occur or not occur based on other things that we can't see behind the scenes in rooms uh, that we don't get to look into. Yeah. Um, I want to ask the three of you this in closing. Annalise, we'll go with you first. We'll bring it back home to Alberta. And I thought that maybe talking about the, the JAMA story uh, and the voices that become louder than the leader maybe, maybe provides a bit of a segue for us. It's widely expected that uh, former premier and uh, NDP leader in Alberta, Rachel Notley, will res- offer her resignation as leader in the next number of months. Who knows exactly when, probably sooner than later, to give the next leader a fair shot at building up their own brand and sort of putting their stamp on the party. Party. Who is the early front runner? Uh, maybe who's a dark horse? Annalise, who are you keeping an eye on? I've got my picks. I'm curious to see who you might point your finger at. What are, what are your picks, Ryan? Well, I think Racky Pencholi Penchol, is the next leader of the party. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think that there are other, some other candidates that could could do a decent job. But I, but to me, Racky is the heir apparent. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. I I think probably right now it's looking like that. I mean, I I think in Calgary specifically, there's some great talent, but very new, right? Yeah. Like they they just um, Najwa El Junaid's really impressive, but yeah, I don't they, know. They the elected average... like a a whack of great um, MLAs, but they've got what like a couple months under their belt right yeah. now. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm curious what the, what the others You are, didn't even say a name, here. Annalise. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I just, Why are you skirting the post, question, Annalise? Just diverting the question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think eyes are on Racky, certainly. I think there's talk in Calgary of like, how do you make the NDP 
uh, like they need to win in Calgary, right? We knew that last election. We know that again in the future. How do you win in Calgary? Can you win in Calgary with an Edmonton leader? I think those conversations are kind of seeping in, but then who's that person in Calgary? Yeah. How important is it, Corey, that it's a, that it's a Calgary-based leader? I don't think it's, look, I think that that might be an optimal solution, but it's probably not going to ha- it might happen look the, the names that you uh, let me throw some names at you names that i've heard kind of around there so there's racky we've already talked about kathleen ganley in calgary mountain view yeah, which is solid writing sarah hoffman david shepherd gil mcgowan these names have all floated around there in in various formats gil mcgowan for those who don't know is the president of the afl so that would set up quite a culture gil's too the polarizing NDP. there's no way I mean, I said interested in running, not somebody sure. I thought had a chance of winning. Sure. But uh, yeah, the uh, you know when you start thinking about the various dynamics there and who might be available, only one name I mentioned is from Calgary, and that's Kathleen. I'm just not so sure. I, I you know if I was going to put money on it right now, I'd probably say Racky myself. Uh, I just like her background, what she brings to this in terms of being a former lawyer and uh, you know young, dynamic, really articulate, really awesome on the Hussings. So. That would be sort of my bet right now, but it'd be crazy to bet right now. Uh, The the thing that I think we all need to keep in mind as we go into this session is that this session is job interview for the next NDP leader. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people right now, probably myself included, who think the freshman class are not really in consideration, but there's going to be some voices in that freshman class who want to say otherwise and are going to use this opportunity to really get Mm. themselves out there in a big way. And I think this is going to be an interesting question to ask us in December. Uh, Ryan, because right now, like there are so many new people that we just don't have a sense of how they're going to operate in the house yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair point. We we, we haven't mentioned Shannon Phillips, uh, who I think could, could also be a, a candidate for leadership, uh, certainly capable and experienced. I don't know if she's too too polarizing either. I don't know. I mean, polarizing is also not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Pierre Poliev is very uh-huh. polarizing. Daniel Smith is very polarizing. Uh, it doesn't disqualify you from being leader. Zane, who are you keeping an eye on? Maybe someone that we haven't mentioned yet. All of those people, I think, are you guys have pretty pretty such bullshit list. answers. You guys, um, <laughs> I gave well, you a so list me, of five. Let, let me that give was pretty you a good. Couple, yeah. Let me give you a couple of names from the outside, just so we can we can uh, tickle the brain to if think you of say opportunity. Nancy, I'm going to hit you. I'm going <laughs> to go to where you Iverson, are. Iverson, Jesperson, those are names that I am actually <laughs> currently considering. <laughs> folks this that is have actually a, my a soft gravitas. launch. I'm announcing <laughs> right gravitas outside of the NDP. Yeah. Listen, I, I think there's going to be a real. Can I just make a w- really quick point on the on the rookie class? I agree with you completely. I think that some of them may test the waters, but I think a lot of them with recent victories, especially to use Najwan as an example, probably want to think about what Kingmaker status looks like for them uh, in, in the future, even if it's not necessarily trying to you know run themselves, but help someone run, have that ground and organizing effort. I think we're going to look back to seeing where some of the organizing successes in the in the NDP were in this past election and recruit from there if you're any one of these leadership contenders and candidates. There's going to be a lot of movement that the naked eye, so to speak, will not see over the next couple of months. But I think Corey's right. This is a January, February conversation that will have a lot more shape to it and a lot more excitement perhaps as well uh it would be uh crazy to bet on it right now but if you would like to bet on it right now you can bet at the strategist.ca the strategist uh, betting lines sponsored by flair <laughs> airlines uh, you can subscribe at the strategist.ca everybody's wondering in the in the live chat right now thanks to ken who hooked us up with five bucks on our super chat that goes into our beer fund uh, which means that when Corey, annalise zane and and yes even stephen carter join us in studio we'll be able to, to buy the beers thanks to ken uh, but he does wonder where is steve 
Stephen. He wonders, is Stephen still in bed? Um, and Johnny, I don't think he did even sign into the Zoom today. We heard that, that fiber no. supplements were 50% off at London <laughs> Drugs. And so I don't know if that's where he was. I'm not sure. Uh, love the three of you. You do incredible work. I literally never miss a pod. We're proud to support you on Patreon. And uh, it's always a pleasure to connect. Corey, I like the idea. You say, ask us again in December. Maybe we'll do exactly that. We'll get you guys Just back planting in a, those seeds, in a few Ryan. months. Just I like I like what you do. You, you The Costanza, man. Leave a coat. Leave a hat at the house. You always have a reason to return, right? Uh, Annalise Klingbeal, I also want to give a shout out to what she does uh, on the side. Make sure you check out gooutside.substack.com. We'll link to that. I absolutely love, Annalise, what you're doing there uh, with that Substack, and it, it sort of inspires me to fill my lungs with fresh air, so thank you for that. Annalise Klingbeal, Zane Valci, and Corey Hogan. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks, brother. Bye. You got See you it. later. Bye. Great friends of the show, and of course, uh, whip smart observations on all things politics. Whoops. Anything jump out at you there from the from the convo? Are you surprised at the Sarah Jama thing? I just think, yeah, I, I know it feels. Well, we talked about it yesterday. As soon as it happened, we were like, like, "What is what is going on over there?" People just not. And she didn't. Some people get buried. You know, people use the word, the phrase "canceled," but like, I, I wouldn't say she's being canceled, but she's being no. piled on. Yeah, she's being stabbed in the back. Um, I'm not saying that I agree with her on everything, but I, who cares? That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she is the the party just basically treated her like she denied the Holocaust. Bye. Like really? I mm-hmm. mean the the uh, the response. I mean like b- booting someone. It's it, it's one thing to kind of be. I don't know what the words you'd want to use, but like censured or, yeah. s- or or sanctioned or whatever you want to use. But like, it's another thing to just be like GTFO. Bye bye. You know, bye bye. Well, I've said this before. I think I think every politician, every person involved in government should have a handler these days if they're over the age of 30. Yeah. <laughs> just someone to say, hey. Make sure you don't say this. Make sure you don't. And, and even what just, are you going to tweet? Let me just let me just let me go just, over this. Let me just review what you're about to do. Are here. you sure you want to? You sure about that? Man? And then it feels like, yeah, nice reference. <laughs> um, and then it feels kind of uh, almost in a way a little bit tacky to bring it up, but it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's a, a young black disabled woman who rallied incredible support yeah. to win a seat, a very prominent riding, like it's it's like it you would say she ticks all the boxes. Every box. I get if it's like, you know, and, and some people won't like this comment, but I get if it's like a seventy seven year old who's that guy? Everybody knows Randy Hillier. I don't yeah. even like to bring him up, but he's you know, he's that MPP that like said all the really dumb shit <laughs> uh through mostly through COVID and then like welcomed lawsuits and basically brought it on and people look at him and they're like, mm-hmm. This is you know, to be honest, kind of the guy that maybe we need less of these types of people in mm-hmm. politics, old, closed minded, curmudgeonly, you know, just yeah. like basically a dick. Uh but she uh, whether or not you like her take on what's happening in Gaza or, or she didn't like she didn't say I understand she said some things that can make the establishment uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She didn't call for the evisceration of a race or or of a people group. She didn't say anything ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just it's it's a mind boggling situation what's happening there i get that doug ford piles on it of course she's opposition <laughs> he wants to distract from the green belt like Annalise point out like i get that part uh but i don't get the, the you know i mean it's not it's not new for the ndp to eat its own for the left no, to, the left can pile on its own like nobody else 
but I just thought that this this story is one that I'm just like it blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what's going on. You can let us know what you think. Our inbox is always open. Uh, coming up in in like you know one minute from now, we're going to get to the flamethrower presented by the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Ooh. Park. If you're inspired, we want to uh, you know we want to hear your beef. Bring us your beef. Bring the heat to talk <laughs> at RyanJesperson.com. Before we do that, speaking of beef, our friends at Friesen Brothers want to. It's just rolls off the tongue, Johnny. Sometimes nice These transition. Things, thank you, buddy. They just write themselves. Friesen Brothers wants to remind you that while, yeah, they've got now 16 locations, soon to be 17. Can't wait for the West Edmonton location to open up. But 16 different locations across the province of Alberta. They all started everything. The whole company started a small little butcher shop in Hinton, Alberta, almost 70 years ago. Before they were your local grocery store, they were your trusted local butcher shop. And they're real butchers are still masters of that craft. Whether you're looking for a freezer pack, whether you want a custom beef order, maybe you have a real special event coming up. Ivan's Sausage, which is what we get into as a family every Sunday for brunch. I recommend the German Sausage or Banja's Smokehouse. Friesen Brothers is your trusted Alberta butcher. You can find a location, learn more about their craft by visiting them online at Friesen. Com. Also want to give a big shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. We're so proud to partner with this company. They're the ones that literally swung the hammers and built this studio. As you can see, they did a beautiful job on the custom, uh, the accoutrement that we wanted. Johnny, Ooh. very difficult to wow. deal with, but the team at Complete Care did an amazing job. Johnny just it just cracking the whip, uh, had all these crazy had requests. Had the level out. He had the level out. That's right. The camera photographing everything. <laughs> but in all seriousness, how great was their team? Incredible. Like, from the smallest things we used to talk about, but when they're drilling a hole in the wall, they're vacuuming beside Making it. Making sure there's so no dust falls. on the floor. I mean, and just always on call, always ready to, to come in and fix another little thing. They're incredible. Love it. Now, they, they do fire and flood restoration. That's kind of how they made their name in Alberta, but they're also big uh, in construction and renovation projects. As a matter of fact, that's almost the lion's share of what they'll be doing through the winter once wildfire season kind of calms down and everybody is back on their feet in that context. If you have a reno project coming up, we 100% without reservation recommend Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online at Complete CompleteCareRestoration.ca. I love this from Seventh Pilot who says, I come here to hear diverse opinions and I don't always agree. Uh, says, but so many people never want to listen or engage the other side. Seventh Pilot, I love your take on that. And uh, it was it's wonderful to always see new people popping up in our chat as well. Some folks, mm-hmm. uh, a guy yesterday, uh, was it, or when Mark Charrington was on, I think it was on Wednesday, <laughs> uh, said, this is my first time ever watching this show. And said, I'm sitting here in tears. I thought that was amazing. What a powerful incredible. conversation that was. Every Friday, we invite you to bring the heat, to, to air your beefs, to get whatever off your chest needs to get off your chest it's a tradition where real talkers come together courtesy of the dairy queens in northwest edmonton and sherwood park palisades nemeo newcastle westmount and baseline road it's the flamethrower and this one from danica who writes in to talk at ryanjesperson.com says heading into the heritage classic this weekend the edmonton oilers have absolutely mastered snatching defeat from the jaws of victory yeah that's right shut out 
on home ice by the New York Rangers so last bad night. Right now. What are they? One it's five so and one now. One six and one. Oh yeah. my gosh! Uh, so anyway, Danica says season after season, it's almost impressive how they can have such incredible talent. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and still find innovative ways to lose. It's like having a gold mine and coming out with a handful of dirt every single time. Oilers fans must have the patience of saints because let's be real, supporting this team is like signing up for a roller coaster of disappointment. I like that, Danica. Says maybe they should change their team motto to we promise nothing but heartache and shattered dreams. Come on, Oilers. It's time to stop being the NHL's favorite punchline and start winning games. That from Danica. Nice one. This one from Lindsay who says, okay, Halloween is upon us. It is. Just a few sleeps away. Says the one night a year when dressing up as a sexy version of anything seems to be the norm. When did it become the rule that every costume had to be transformed into a skimpy, barely recognizable version of itself? Lindsay says, I know someone who dressed up as sexy pizza. Sexy pizza? How did that? that What would be the sexiest pizza? Trying to envision that. Just dripping with melted cheese. I don't know. (laughs) So Lindsay says, and don't get me started on sexy animals. Yeah, I don't want to go there either, Lindsay. She says, I'm just waiting for the day when somebody shows up as like a a sexy traffic cone or a sexy stapler. I was told I could keep my stapler. Let's remember that Halloween is supposed to be spooky and fun. Not an excuse for everybody to channel their inner slut. Let's bring back the creativity. (laughs) Lindsay, let's bring back the... You feel like maybe this is personal? shaving going on. There's a little shaving going on. Let's bring back the creativity and leave the sexy versions in the costume clearance bin. Okay, Lindsay, nice one. And this one from Dan in Red Deer says, Jess, I'm a fan of the show. I've been a fan of yours since the 630 Chet days. The what day? The who? What is that? What? He says, I've always enjoyed your perspective on issues. Thanks, Dan in Red Deer. He says, I I just actually heard your conversation with Charles Adler. Uh, A comment that he made a couple of weeks ago, uh, making an announcement, he says, by the Oilers, he he says, talking about, you know, their support for Israel. The Oilers stand with Israel. And, and Adler said, and he did, that it's basically painting a target on the Jewish community's back. Uh, Dan says, we were at that game and, and we had a similar reaction to yours. A little bit surprised. The silence and people yelling pro-Palestinian support was palatable in the building, says Dan. But I couldn't help but notice Johnny's comment about Pride Tape after that. And he says, and I hope that you guys all see the irony, says Dan. By gosh, by golly, please. And he hyphenates it all. I like that. By gosh, by golly, please. Be consistent in your messaging, in particular Charles Adler. Maybe he should rethink his perspective on Pride Night and recognize what all of you just said. You could apply his logic to NHL Pride Night or Military Night or Hockey Fights Cancer Night. That by promoting Pride Night on the NHL, it's painting a target on the backs of the LGBTQ community. Maybe, just maybe, says Dan in Red Deer, celebrities, sports stars, owners of teams and companies should stay out of social arenas. Dan, I disagree with you, but I preserve and celebrate your right to say what you feel strongly about right here on The Flamethrower, presented by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Coming up next week, on Monday, we've got a huge announcement We're producing a new show. And if you love watching and talking about politics, I think you're going to love this one. That's coming up on Monday. On Tuesday, we're going to get into some of the stories that are making news. But in particular, we're catching up with Jen, the founder of Harvest Hills Cares Calgary. Remember, she had to bail on Wednesday because she was helping out a homeless gal who was going into labor in the hospital. Expect more powerful testimony about what poverty is doing to people's lives and how they're finding pathways out of it. And then we expect it's going to be Wednesday morning as sessions kicking off next week. 
Premier Danielle Smith will be joining me right here on Real Talk. You have a question for her, you know where to find us. Thanks for supporting what we do here. Thanks for hitting us up on Patreon, subscribing to our YouTube, and most importantly, telling your friends about everything you're hearing right here on Real Talk. Have a great weekend. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.